Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more, please visit xsolla.pro slash AOIAAS. Hey everyone, I'm Trent Custers, co-founder and studio director at League of Geeks, and this is The Game Maker's Notebook. Today, we're super lucky to have Joel and Alex of Black Salt Games, most known for their debut title, and it's an absolute banger of a debut, Dredge, the cosmic horror fishing game uh, published by Team 17, which you've no doubt seen a bunch about just an interesting point about Black Salt and Dredge is that Black Salt Games spun out of another studio called Cerebral Fix in New Zealand, and that was generally a work for hire studio. And so Black Salt Games were spun off as a small little offshoot to make really, like, basically had the objective to create tightly scoped, incredibly well executed indie games. And the process about of how they went about it is nothing short of amazing listening to it. And the fact that they nailed it is obviously evident. And we talk about art, we talk about tech art, we talk about design, we talk about the themes, we talk about the prototyping phase, how they got to vertical slice, how they brought on Team 17 when that happened, even then how they went and developed the different areas of the game after spending eight months locking down the marrows, the initial area, and getting that pacing just right. We talk about consequence of in every area of the game and balancing that isolation and consequence and the spookiness of the game. Um, not so much horror, but the spookiness of the game. And it's just, it's just a wonderful conversation and there are so many nuggets of brilliance in here that I think whether you're into art, design, the commercial side of indie game development or management and production, there's something here for you. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Here's Joel and Alex from Black Salt Games. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good day. How are you? Yeah, good. You know, just sort of winding down after a pretty crazy year towards Christmas now. <laughs> you know, I um, I feel like I keep seeing you two. We haven't actually had a chance to chat yet, so I'm really glad that we're, we're getting this opportunity today. But I feel like every games event that I'm at, you two are at accepting awards as well. So it's um, it, it sounds like it's been a pretty wild year for you. Yeah, no, it's been crazy. Was that uh, South by Southwest that we yeah, maybe saw yeah. you last? Yeah, yeah, that was that yeah. was cool. At least I think I don't know how I'm gonna, we're going to go on the subsequent subsequent stages with you guys, but we snatched up the People's Choice that <laughs> that event as well. So, oh yeah, award winning award winner uh, podcast this morning here. The yeah, we uh, we just found out like three hours ago when I woke up that we we won like IGN's Indie Game of the Year as well, which is what crazy Congrats. as well. Yeah, that, that's the thing about like working in New Zealand. Everything happens at like 4 a.m. and we just wake up to big news. 
<laughs> Amazing. Hell yeah. Well, um, speaking of everything happening at 4 a.m. in the morning, it's like usually I'm up early in the morning for the States, but you guys have gotten me up early at 7 a.m. anyway. It's only 9 a.m. over there. But yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. You, you know, um, I was saying to you, I was up late last night anyway. I've done it to myself because I was playing Dredge phenomenal video game i mean i don't need to tell you we just heard ign told you this morning it's the indie game of the year um but congratulations gargantuan achievement uh and we got a lot to talk about because it's a pretty interesting story as well from what i've heard you guys are going to confirm it today i'm sure but let's kick it off the way that we usually do here on this podcast i'm not sure if you're familiar but we like to take it all the way back to where it kind of first begun so i'm gonna ask alex first i reckon Alex, what was your first memory of video games? And there's kind of two ways you can take it. You can give me like your first little slither of like the earliest video game memory you got, or you can give me the memory that gave you the twinkle in your eye to like, you know, that sort of set your brain on fire. All right. I think, uh, I think the, the, the first, my first interactions with the video games that I remember are on um, my dad's old Commodore 64, which is pretty, pretty old. Um, I remember he had all of these like, um, floppy disks with games on from, I don't know where he got them from. Um, <clears throat> but like there was specifically, I remember, uh, the last ninja and the last ninja two and a game called Whizball and bionic commando. Um, <laughs> hell yeah. And, Did you say quiz fall or whiz ball? Oh, whiz, ball. Like so I, think whiz- sure, I think sure from wizard ball. It was just yeah. weird. Um, like, uh, it was, it, it's similar to like an infinite runner that you might play today where you're just like a marble with wizard powers and you're like, nice. jumping I love all of these strong eighties game tropes as well. Ninjas, wizards, bionic yes. commandos. Very good. It was all about it. Like, yeah, back in the day I was all about it as well. Yeah. I still go back to, to listen to these soundtracks. Like to this day, I go back and listen to the Commodore 64. There's something about that sound trip. Super yeah. nostalgic. For sure, especially when you're that young. It's really, it is those member berries, you know, like the nostalgia, like it reaches, just something reaches inside your brain and gives it a little gentle pat, I'm sure. yeah, Hell yeah. And so where did that kind of, what was the next step for you from that? You know, like, was that, did you get your own console? Did it, did it lead into, were you, were you drawing little pixel art in books or did the sort of the craft come a whole lot later? Um, yeah, I sort of was, but it was, um, like I always wanted to to make video games ever since. Well, it probably wasn't Commodore sixty four. It was probably around about the time I got like um, my Sega Master System. Um, mm-hmm. I was a I was a Sega child, so I had the Sega Master System and then the Sega Mega yeah. Drive or Genesis, depending on where you are. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I used to in my notebook scribble pictures of of like video game characters. Sonic. I was big on Sonic because Sega, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and then I think it all really when I wanted to become a game developer kicked off when we got our first home computer, probably because that was the first time I remember my neighbor introduced me to, uh, basic something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Basic programming language. Yeah. Nodding, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Correct. And I was like, I oh, that is, <laughs> that yeah. is a programming language. Yeah. I mean, I should draw a couple pixels and I was like impressed with that anyway. <laughs> That yeah, was that was me when I um when I first got into games. I was like, I got to learn this programming thing because I, you know, I got I was got a job and didn't know how to program because I was game designer wasn't required. Um, but I did like an eight week course or whatever, and I remember just 
rendering a triangle on screen. Most exciting moment of my life. Incredible. I was yeah. like, I, I've done it. I can, I can pro, I can program. It's so much work and you just get like this triangle or something. Yeah. I remember that was, I was like, I, I really wanted to make video games, but I thought that I was not like smart enough or that was too hard. So that is kind of part of the reason why I got into art. I got yeah. into art. I want to make video games. I can probably do art. Um, but yeah, I think oh, that yeah. kind of kickstarted the whole thing. Cool. All right. And Joel, what about, what about yourself? Uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm like the youngest on the team, so I don't have a lot of the systems that, that the rest of the team often. <laughs> That's like, all right. We don't, we don't system shame on this podcast. Okay. We, 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 we go far and wide on our spectrum of, uh, first gaming consoles. I guess my first experience with a video game that I really remember was probably like Christmas day. I'm going to say like 95, 96 mm-hmm. game boy classic. Yes. Um, that that kind of time. And it was playing some Batman licensed game. And I don't think I ever made it past like the first or the second level. I was terrible at it. Um, I know but the I mean, exact I love game it. you're talking about, I think. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I got it much further than the first or second level as well. Yeah, it was brutal. There was there was lots of trains. I just remember being like fighting in trains for hours on it. <laughs> That's what we're doing game still, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I guess I just guess there was a natural progression from that into like Pokemon and stuff and just other other video yeah. games. Um, but as for what, like, I guess kind of sparked things for me, it probably wasn't until, I'm going to say Shadow of the Colossus, which is like yeah. 2004 or 5, until I actually sort of, sort of thought about games as being like a meaningful medium, I suppose. Yeah. It was sort of my first exposure to the whole, like, you know, can games be art debate, even though I wasn't really on the internet at that point, uh, you know, having yeah. those discussions, but, you know, thinking about that at that point. Yeah, I think Ueda-san is responsible for bodying an entire generation of developers <laughs> with that game, for sure. There's a bunch of us in the craft that um, I think had a had a similar moment. Mm. Do you remember what it was sort of specifically about the game that, you know, really, really jumped out at you? I guess, I guess it was the the feeling of isolation in mm. that in that world and i've just maybe come to some realization about <laughs> that's why i asked you yeah oh, okay <laughs> yeah because there is there are some interesting parallels like immediately was when you say that between even just like if we're talking vibes between you know like a shadow of the colossus and dres and shit it's really interesting but yeah yeah we'll leave you with that I, one to unpack i guess yeah <laughs> oh yeah so um so joel when did the game development thing start for you how did this um you know this bodying by fumito ueda's shadow of the colossus turn into a um you know a game development interest and hobby i mean almost almost on accident really i mean i uh you know introverted kids spend a lot of time inside i was on computers i knew my way around computers and stuff so sort of end of high school thinking about what i was going to do at university i was like yeah i could probably do computer science i've made a few websites for people as, as a teenager so it was sort of a natural progression into you know the, the techie um courses and i did four years of computer science in christchurch new zealand mm-hmm. uh and i sort of just assumed i would get out of my final exams and uh apply for some software engineering 
jobs somewhere and yeah. I was at, at, a, at a careers fair at the university and I bumped into uh, some people running a stall um, uh, for a company called Cerebral Fix and yeah. they made uh, video games and hmm. I basically got an interview on the spot and then I went to the interview and I got the job and I just sort of landed in it. I, I'd always wanted to like do it, but I just never yeah. thought it was possible. Like no, it was such like a, a lofty goal that I'm like, ah, oh, just do some boring stuff instead. But uh, yeah, just, just landed in it. And uh, yeah, I went from there, I guess. Did you have that incredibly common, you know, when I think when it happens that rapidly and kind of almost accidentally, there's a very common sitting in your chair on the first day expecting people to spin around and go what's he doing here imposter did you have did you have that feeling or did you just like get stuck straight into it feel like the the right place oh i mean i i still have that feeling like, honestly, <laughs> IGN, like congratulations indie game of the year you're like i think you've got the wrong email um <laughs> so i know how to greet you next time we're in the office <laughs> some massive imposter syndrome. <laughs> no, I'm also projecting. That's definitely how I felt on my first day. I like because it was kind of rapid, like that as well. Asked for the, you know, got the job interview, then get the job after the second interview or whatever, and then you're just there, like a few days later, sitting there, and they're like, make this video game, and you're just like, are the police going to come soon? Like, I don't know. Am I, <laughs> am I still allowed to be here? So, no, congrats. How long were you at Cerebral Fix for? Uh, so it's something like something like eight years. Uh, so the, all of the Black Salt team are from Cerebral yeah. Fix. Um, Alex was there a similar amount of time, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, just sort of like post uh, post pandemic, uh, we decided to spin off and start Black Salt. Um, you know, we'd always tried to make our own video games our own ips inside cerebral fix but with it mm -hmm. with a team of like 70 people and then like dedicating a group of like four or five people to this project you still yeah. end up with like 70 voices trying to like uh yeah. put in their opinions uh and it's just really hard to like focus on a thing um yeah. so it was a deliberate strategy to like pull us out of there found something that we could yeah focus on so yeah eight years there and then to two and a half years at, at black salt is it coming up to three i don't remember it is. Like <laughs> what's time these days yeah so before we spin back to you alex like joel you say um we pulled ourselves out of there when when you say that like did this is just like a details question interesting did you all leave cerebral fix and start this or did cerebral fix sort of like spin off an independent thing with you all to give you more focus just the way that you phrased it made me think that yeah it's 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 a, it's a spinoff and we're still kind of you know attached we're like 50 meters away from their offices we're still all good mates and stuff um yeah and, and one of the one of the great things is that we had this resource in our old company of 65 uh experienced game developers who 65 know opinions uh, well, yeah, but also so now you're 50 like, meters away, right? <laughs> 50 meters away. Like they know how to give feedback on prototypes, and they know what to look for and what to yeah. not care about and stuff. So during playtesting, we made good use of that. <laughs> Hell yeah! Congrats, that's so rad. Okay, well let's put Thanks. a pin in it right there. We'll come back to this point in the story. Alex, 
tell me about how your your little adventures in basic um trying to draw sonic uh ended up with you spending eight years or so at cerebral fix too was that your first gig in the games it was yeah um so were you in despair as well did you did you just stumble upon this this magical stall i was not no i wasn't as active as that i was kind of just like hiding um but yeah i took a different route i went i i took the art route i guess because I figured that programming was too complicated, too maths heavy for me. Although I still love, I like, I actually really enjoy programming uh, nowadays. Um, and, and let me just say, he's better at maths than me. <laughs> You've got no proof, proof of that. <laughs> I don't believe that. I love it. Well, congratulations. This actually isn't a podcast. It's a maths competition. Don't give me any live maths, please. I don't know my time tables. I don't know none of that. So you're saying you're pro- you program as well, Alex? Um, yeah, I like to. I dabble. <laughs> um, there's some awesome, of my yeah. programming in Dredge, for sure. Yeah, yeah. If it's not, oh, yeah, cool. hopefully not the cause of all of its bugs. Um, <laughs> there's not. There's nothing. Yeah. Alex next to each commit. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, yeah. Cool. I put Joel's name if I think it's stupid. <laughs> um, Fantastic. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, Cerebral Fix, like as much as we can, because it's obviously been a huge influence. Because it's not just you; it's it's other mentions, other members of the team. So let's let's get a little bit of a little bit of context going here. How many folks are there at Black Salt now, and how many sort of spun out of Cerebral Fix at the start? Uh, so there's there's myself, there's Alex, and uh, the whole uh, studio was founded. Uh, the whole of Black Salt Games Studio was founded by Nadia, um, oh. who was also the head of studio at Cerebral Fix. Yeah. Um, and that was the original three of Black Salt. And then about I don't know eight months in, we also uh, pulled across another artist, Mikey, um, which makes up the sort of four four people at black salt uh we have in the last few months uh hired a qa and a community manager to oh yeah sort of there's help, that 25 percent growth we love it <laughs> that's it that's it but yeah so for a while we were three and then bumped up to four and now we're uh giving ourselves some some breathing room because like nadia who was you know ceo producer also yeah. like full-time tester yeah that's a yeah, lot they, yeah they come hand in hand in the indie world yeah 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 hell yeah that's that's really 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 rad okay so very very cool so let's talk a little bit about cerebral fix and and what you what you're all doing in cerebral fix tell tell me a little bit about you know some of the projects that cut your teeth alex do you remember the first project that you walked onto on cerebral fix yes (laughs) i was hired (laughs) it was a while ago there was um uh it's it's this kind of separate company that was like gambling games yeah. happening yep. yeah um so i started doing that uh just yep. like purely random chance games um yeah, but okay. i was i was hired as an artist they were they were being skinned sort of as more um more video gamey um than regular yeah uh, games regular that sort of stuff and everything yeah yeah um uh and then um there's lots of projects over the years it was all like work for hire mm-hmm. stuff for a client Tell me about some, do you have any that like, you know, because I'm just, I guess what I'm, to give you a bit of context of sort of what I'm, what I'm getting at here, I guess is like dredge is a remarkable achievement. Like that's why we're here talking, right? <laughs> uh, and so like you guys kind of 
you were at Cerebral Fix and you're making these, making games there for eight years and then you spin off and you make Dredge. There is, you know, there are things that we we learn along the way, along that process, right? And I, whether it's gambling games, whether it's licensed product, and we see it all the time here. What was, do you remember any particular products or any like particular big learnings that you that you got off that? Even if it's like, and I don't mean it in a sense of like, you know, things that went wrong at Cerebral Fix, but, you know, like every project has its challenges or the lessons that we learn through it or even the environment. Like, Joel, you mentioned, you know, the the noise of sort of working in amongst the 70 people and just like needing to spin out, spin off and out of it, even as another arm of Cerebral Fix, like to get that sort of, that sort of, that cone of silence that was necessary. Alex, do you have any sort of, you know, big lessons that you remember from that, from that time that sort of really informed the way that you all went about Dredge? I think the best thing that I've taken away from um, doing all of the client projects and things like that is um, basically like the work ethic of having deadlines and getting stuff done, especially in art and like a creative field. You're almost, you almost never, you never really feel like you're finished, but you, you learn to know when a thing is done, even though there's a thing in the back of your head that's like, you need to polish this. You could restart it. It could be better. You know, Um, there's like uh, things that you need to change uh, mentally to be able to like, get to actually get creative work done i think and i that was a big shift for me and i it's the most uh helpful thing for me for my projects even personal projects and things like yeah. that um it's no, I guess I, like a work ethic <laughs> totally yeah i cut my teeth on licensed projects as well at taurus games in melbourne and like it was mad like we shipped, shipped like 10 games in the first three years that i was in the career in my career or something and everything from like the little leapfrog handheld like you know, kids like learning game um, device all the way through to like Xbox 360, you know, and like some of multiple SKUs. And it's just like getting like shipping and executing becomes the priority, right? And like getting things in the game and ability to test it, like, and yeah. get it hands on with it immediately. Yeah. Like you, can't, next thing. you can't ship that many titles that quickly if you've got like your perfectionist tendencies still yeah. making you redo things or polish and for yeah. extreme hours. Yeah. There's a, um, I won't name him because <laughs> he was. This is this is told to me in confidence, but he'll know who he is if he is this former head of like a, a large, very successful game studio um, in the UK, um, who once said to me that he's never met an artist that didn't need like work taken away from them, and he meant it in like the kindest way. You know, it's like they'll just sit there polishing and iterating, and like, but honestly, like, just they. And so he had the whole studio set up on like agile, a Kanban or whatever, but the artists were set up on waterfall. To just like make sure that they had those deadlines because they wanted them as well like the team like this was a process that he went through with the team as well figuring it out but yeah i totally totally relay especially from an art sense of like having that deadline and moving towards it getting it in and the thing about dredge too is that the art is so so striking in it's like like the execution of it's and it i don't you know, it's hard to say this without it seeming like I'm, I'm knocking it or anything, but you know, like it's simplicity, you know, like, and how, how striking and arresting it is. And there's, there's so much of it as well, Alex, you know, like yeah. in the game too, for what, just you? Uh, yeah. It, well, initially it was until we brought Mikey on. Mikey does yep. um, a, 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 like the majority of the 3D stuff now, Dope. Um, okay, but I'm cool. still doing all of the 2D uh, and yeah, there is a lot of it. There's a lot of fish. And I, the reason, <laughs> the reason yeah, there's that more fish, coming. Yeah, yeah, oh, more coming. yeah, that's it. Yeah, but there's, yeah, there's plenty more fish in the sea, as they say, Alex. So no, we're no, we're, we're done. We're out of fish. <laughs> um, Joel, what about you? Like those those eight years, you know, your first gig, you know, stumbling upon that magic, magical stall, and then finding yourself shipping a bunch of video games. 
like what what really did you you know sort of programmer author you know on on dredge what what was it that you took to this experience of spinning off into black salt um so i was only ever programming at cfix i've never never written anything before dredge um love it uh and it's unfortunate that like, you know, as a, as a work for hire studio, you can't talk about most of the things that you, yeah, you worked yeah, that's, on. Of course, um, that's totally fine, yeah. But, but also it sucks that your, your name often isn't in the credits of these things. Like yep. basically Dredge was our first credited work, at least that I can remember. I don't know about you, Alex. Um, yeah, uh, I, there, there is kind of one project that, that stands out, um, yeah. which again was was me and Alex working together. Uh, we worked on a small mobile game called Ninja Tobu, um, yeah, cool. which was basically an excuse for us to learn Unity. We didn't know Unity at the time. Yeah. Uh, this was oh god, how many years ago was it? Like six, something like it that. Feels uh, like it. Uh, and we had like two weeks. We said we're going to make a game and ship it in like two weeks. Uh, and I, I guess that was kind of my first experience on like setting a deadline with the perp, like the express purpose of just like learning a thing. Yeah. Uh, so learning unity, learning how to publish things on app stores, um, learning end to end stuff. Cause normally you just, you're giving a product to the, to the client and they're doing all the marketing. Or yeah. You're just handing it out. And sometimes you're only doing a part of it as well. I imagine too. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Ninja Tobu was like a, a small little kind of sticky game. Alex came up with the idea for it. Um, we implemented it pretty quickly and, and shipped it and, and learned a bunch. And I, it set a few million downloads, like it's done sort of, sort of okay. Um, but like its primary purpose was to learn stuff, right? right? And, and this was one of those little sort of skunkworks projects that was happening inside Cerebral Fix. This wasn't client work, obviously, as that's well. That's it. That's it. You know, there's gotcha. some some spare FTEs lying around and, you know, let's put them to <laughs> put them to something. Just uh, made me spit my coffee everywhere. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and going into Dredge, right, we... I mean, I'm, I'm certainly a pessimist, uh, as you will probably discover. Um, you know, we... <laughs> we didn't expect it to succeed um yeah. certainly not to the level that it did and i, I think you're kind of crazy if you if you do yeah, expect totally. this thing to succeed so the the primary purpose of dredge was again to learn we'd never done a console game before um we'd never really done proper socials and marketing even still um yeah. so we set our deadlines and said like let's just try to try to learn as much as we can and let's see if we can maybe take another shot after dredge if dredge doesn't work uh yeah and i think that was just extremely valuable and we're just really lucky that it also was kind of an okay game as well <laughs> yeah i hear it's all right um amazing okay so let's let's now go to like the the start of black salt right so nadia's spinning up this new gig you know she's she's got a, her crack team uh, and and you're spinning out to like make this thing and the thing that i keep hearing from the two of you is deadlines scope like let's you know they, these are the big lessons that you're learning and that you're taking and, and almost like your unfair advantage against you know um most other folks who are doing the same thing here like how tell me about the first the first sort of days of black salt or even talking about it happening was dredge like a little prototype, 
you know, in already that you had, you know, floating around or was it, did you just launch into Black Salt and not know what was coming next? Like, how did, how did you sort of define the project and that objective and even the timeline? Was it, you know, did you carve off, did Nadia say, okay, we got this much cash and, you know, we got to, we got to get three games out of that or something? Yeah, kind of. Um, so th there was a bit of an overlap at the start where we were still working at the old place, but we would have meetings together for a, a few hours and, and sort of just talk about what our plans were going to be. Yeah, um, cool. And they were um, things like just making sure we're all on the same page of like the type of game we wanted to make. Um, mm -hmm. We we sort of identified the problems that we could see us having over the next two years. We had, we gave ourselves two years. We had the money for that. Um, mm. Identified the problems we thought we might have. And one of the problems was like, if we're working on something that we hate, we're going to get burnt out. So let's make sure we're going to make something that we want to play yeah, and yeah, we yeah. want to enjoy. Right. So we sat down for, I don't know, three hours in front of a whiteboard and sort of had like all these genres of games and types of games written out on magnets. And then we were just sort of like putting them in the like yes basket or the no basket and just sort of from there honing in on like what we thought we would like to make and also what we thought we could make. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, sure, we like to play MMOs, but we're not going to like <laughs> make that Give a shot. Come on. I mean, game two yeah. game two yeah there you go maybe yeah <laughs> um and then once we had that little like corner of the whiteboard of like the genres that we liked and the things yeah. that we thought we were capable of we then went away alex and i and uh came up with i don't know eight like one pager documents there were probably more like half pages of just ideas for games mm-hmm and then we Do came you remember back. some of those original genres or things that you were sort of targeting? Not so much the pages itself, but like the step before that that you were that you were working off. Alex, do any come to mind? Um, we had on the whiteboard. We basically just had like all of the genres we could think of, um, and we were kind of deciding whether we we think like whether we agree we like this genre or we would have yeah, like where the overlap was, genre. right? Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. Um, Exactly. Do you remember the ones you came away with, like any of the winners? Uh, it's like an adventure, no, like RPG, yeah. and then like some, some core concepts of like tight upgrade loops and stuff yeah, like okay. that. Okay. Right. So you're diving into can. like little sort of genre features and things, like sort of meta features of games and stuff. Yeah. I think some yeah. of them were just like feelings as well. Like we've probably had like atmospheric, like, you know. <laughs> We really yeah, like God, things that have like, sure. and that's like intangible thing that you can't describe. I remember things that we had on our like we won't make list was like we had like sports. <laughs> we like we don't really <laughs> touch sports games <laughs> or like racing games. So like yeah, it was yeah. fun. Cool. Okay. And so was Dredge one of these eight-page concepts, Joel? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was quite different on its in its two paragraphs of explanation. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of them. Uh, there were, there were three that we took to prototype stage. Oh, cool. Um, and so, so when we finally did, you know, the clean cut from the old studio and we said, right, let's sit down at our new desks and start working on stuff. That was, we had three prototypes to work on. Um, and right, we spent okay, two, cool. week, two weeks on each, uh, which would have been, uh, like, literally three years ago to the day i'm, I'm pretty sure um wow. that we were working on these and so yeah we would we would work two weeks on each and that included also um 
some initial playtesting with a couple of people and then some rapid iteration to fix all the stupid shit we'd done. And then like an actual sample of like eight testers with surveys and stuff to talk about. Oh, really? At the end of those three prototypes? Yeah. 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 And then, and then once we'd done the three prototypes, we compared and contrasted the results of the surveys, did a bit of market research on like, oh, this game's good, but like it's a saturated field and like this one is good as well Mm -hmm. and all those comparisons. Yeah. And you did this market research, I imagine you did internally yourselves, like just checking out what's out there and everything. Yeah, it's looking at the the games that are that are similar. So like for Dredge, you know, it's looking at things like Sunless Sea and Subnautica and other nautical games and saying yeah. like, oh, how many things did they, did they sell on Steam? Um, what were the reviews like? What were the common complaints like? Yeah. You know. Cool. Okay. And so this prototype where it ended up after those those two weeks and your iteration how were you were you getting close to sort of the core of you know what dredge is today yeah i i think uh there like there were some features that were missing from the prototype there's no mini game <laughs> no yeah, i can imagine yeah yeah uh like you would just drive up to a fishing spot and push f and you would get a fish yeah um, yeah cool yeah. And at the start of the prototype as well, there was no inventory system as well, which is weird because it's kind of like one of the core concepts of Dredge now is like the inventory Tetris and the yeah. sort of puzzle dimension that adds to the game. That was not a factor um, until Alex yeah. came up with the idea halfway through and we just jammed it in. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But largely it was it was pretty similar. It, it is pretty dissimilar from the one-page document that it started out with. Um, Interesting. Can you spill the beans on that? Let's let's hear what was that one-page document. Yeah. So, I mean, as as a programmer, I think I, I think pretty rigidly. So it was a turn-based, grid-based game. Yeah. Uh, which is wildly different from what it is now. <laughs> um, but it was it was like um, it was it was probably a bit closer to like papers please um where you you would like had a had a home base and you would like go out and you would spend your allocated time by moving through grid squares and be like okay i'm gonna go to that mackerel spot over there and i'm gonna hopefully get some you'd come back you'd sell it and you wouldn't have enough to like pay for your family's food and the heating and like you'd have to make those hard decisions yeah it's Uh, an interesting it's an interesting lesson in game design here right because like so many people would look at dredge and designers themselves or would even set out to make something like dredge thinking that you know like you say the tetrising of the inventory is like the critical first thing even like i think it's gonna be insane for people to hear that you just pressed a and the fish got in your boat you didn't even spend like half a day doing a, a very simple like fishing mini game right but the game is the town loop right it's like the it's going in and out like you're saying that like that papers please almost of you've got your time through the day and you're coming back and and it's the relationship between going out and coming back in and the changes and the consequences and the yeah yeah i think i think the from the prototype the larger thing that we wanted to to prototype and test was the um the juxtaposition of like fishing a day and just like being pretty chill and like having management elements and then when night comes along and 
the fog rolls in because we had all that in the prototype as well. The, that was the there, atmosphere, right. Okay. Yeah, atmosphere, the yeah. Changing, <laughs> yeah, the vibe changing drastically and uh, seeing how this would feel and how if it was like engaging, it turned out it was. People really, yeah. really liked that. Yeah. Hell yeah. And it's it's amazing. Like the moment that you start, I mean, you don't even need to play the game. Like it's evident from the first trailer that you guys did. There's, there's so much like so, so much there and the 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 concept itself not i'm not talking about dread the concept of dredge i'm talking about the concept of like just being out at sea fishing in these old towns and light light lighthouses and like there's so much mystery and mythos and lore and everything there that you can really bring to the experience like the players are projecting their own stuff into it i can imagine even from the prototype it must have must have had that vibe to it yeah um and it's a lot of like implied depth as well, uh, which we we sort of had to lean on with such a small studio. Yeah, of course. Right, um, and the, the 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 mystery and the fog and the hiding of things. Uh, it, it just turned out to be really really effective. Um, mm. a, again, originally we didn't think we were going to really have a story in the game, and that it was going to be more about the loop because yeah. we did have a writer so it's going to be like placeholder text to like just get you back out to see again yeah um but the more we the more we tested it the more people said i want to know more i want to know about this town i want to know about what the hell's out there at night and so we just kept adding more story and yeah it turned more into a story game in the end and now you're a video game writer. That's like you just uh, completely against your will. Somehow, Joel, you have become a video game writer. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> no, but the, the writing is, I, I said it before we jumped on the call, the writing is great. It's its really arresting. And, you know, um, Alex, it is the atmosphere as well. Like what the two of you and obviously, you know, the team as well, but have, you know, have, have come together to build here. Like it really does feel like a game that has those those elements that like really come together in a very strong core way. Like it, it's, um, it's really, really affecting. So let's, um, let's talk about, let's go back to these three prototypes. You do the market testing and everything. Um, I don't even want to assume that dredge is the one that came out on top. Like, you know, you, maybe you swung back to it later, but was it, was it like, was it the clear front runner or were there some hard decisions there or some like debates amongst the team of which one to carry forward? Was there another sort of, was there a dropping of one and then two duking it out? What was the next phase after you did the market testing and the sort of two weeks? There was there was one that was like clearly a bit too ambitious, like it was an RTS. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's a pretty stacked genre with things like Age of Empires yeah. and Star, uh, StarCraft and stuff. So you're like, uh, that's probably a bit of a risky market to try to tackle. Yeah, the other sure. one was like a sort of like a, a stealthy game like you drive a little robot around a <laughs> facility and you're like stealing stuff um yeah. and that was okay like it it play tested all right um i think the problem with that is that we just kind of couldn't see where it would go we couldn't see how yeah. we would like scale that uh whereas dredge we could kind of just see its trajectory um yeah in an expanded yeah. world and that was interesting to us and that was probably one of the main factors in why we we chose dredge yeah and alex i there's there's something that was siobhan ready of media molecule like once said on another podcast tone control about you know shipping games and something that you know makes a great producer who can ship and it's that moment when you get a game from being in everyone's heads 
to like getting on on a screen. And I think about it all the time in video game development. I imagine it's it sounds like Alex, what that what Joel's talking about that um, that Dredge had was all of you seem to be like looking at the same lighthouse, so to speak, you know, like towards the same, towards the same beacon. Like it, did it seem like the idea was pretty solid in all, all three of your heads? Yeah, I think, it, I think it was. So the original like nugget that Dredge came from, came from Joel and it was basically just like cosmic horror fishing. And it was yeah. so strong that like, it did help align everybody. Like we knew like just from like our prototype and yeah. that general like basic uh, outline. Yeah. Um, we had a pretty clear, clear goal. Um, we had other things that we, we made sure, uh, to help keep us aligned. Um, we just like, we were always like having design discussions and things together and we would talk about possible stories and it always seemed like we were on the same page. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it, it definitely had the strongest vision out of all of our prototypes. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your art direction on the project as well at this point in time. Were you, what kind of, tell me what kind of mode of thinking you were in and what you were sort of planning for. I can see there's definitely some ridiculous fishing vibes in there. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional or not, but like what this prototype, how much trouble did you go to making it look pretty? Was it kind of a proving ground? I mean, you only had two weeks, obviously, but were you kind of, proving out visuals as well yourself like what what were you thinking about specifically as the artist like for the next steps forward as well uh so during the prototypes for these games i uh i mean i kind of thought about like where i would want to take them visually but um like the art i actually got done for the prototypes is all just kind of like the same uh like a low poly quick um quick assets it just has to like look like the thing that it's supposed to, it doesn't even have to like animate yeah. in most cases or anything like that. It's yeah. prototype art. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the prototypes really like where I didn't intend for them to visually represent where the game was going. In the case of Dredge, uh, the prototype did, I think have a pretty big impact on how it ended up looking because yeah. the prototype was very low poly. It was very like stylized. It was kind of, it was actually more cutesy than uh, Dredge uh, ended up being. Yeah. Um, right. And, and there was something about like the juxtaposition of it looking like that and then getting kind of spooky at night. I think it threw people off. I think it, it put people on edge and it, it contributed like pretty greatly to the feeling that we actually wanted. Um, yeah. And we could see that. We could see that like that like worked. Um, so going forward and making the actual art style for Dredge, I knew I wanted to keep it like um, pretty simple, like, like cartoony to an extent, but I also wanted to make it uh, harsher uh, and you know, more in line with the tone of um, something that's a bit spooky. Um, and there's also my own influence. I like um, sort of like, I like digital art. So um, there are characteristics of digital art um, that I see that make something look digital that I like. Uh, there's a tool in Photoshop called the lasso tool, which just makes very hard edges. Yeah. Know? And it's like a very, it's kind of hard to replicate and like analog instruments like paint uh, it will naturally create like variation in edges and things like this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my own taste. I brought that in, but it also, uh, helps because it makes this cartoony style a bit more unique. It makes it quite harsh, it makes it abstract, which leaves room for people to kind of project their own ideas into the art more. I think all, all of these things kind of like were positive. They were things that I wanted. Um, so 
when I was experimenting and that and it all started like working in this way. And I followed that. And there was a specific moment, like there was a lot of happy accidents on the way, but then, um, yeah. and then when I had first drawn the first character that we drew was the, where the, uh, was the fishmonger and I reworked him a couple of times, but he was the first final character portrait. And when he was done, he became kind of like the guiding light, the tent pole, I guess, for the, yeah, okay. for all the visuals. Yeah. So I'd have him and I would be like, does this art I'm doing right now kind of like match? Does it work? And uh, that, that was kind of how I went forward. And then um, in terms of the in-game visuals, there was, I had a similar thing with the, the skybox. I did the shader for the skybox and I knew I, did, I didn't want like soft, fluffy clouds. Um, I wanted them jaggy in a certain way, but um, like jagged, but um, I didn't know exactly what that meant. And then when, when I finally got the skybox looking how I wanted, I was like, okay, so that's how the world's going to look. <laughs> Huh. Right. So you basically started with the skybox as your sort of like, funnily enough, your North star for, for the rest of the world. It was that and the really water. Visuals. Yeah. But the water went through many more iterations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can bet. I mean, I, like it's like, it's like I was saying, it's a very simple looking game, but I think that really belies, um, the, you know, the amount of work that like you guys no doubt put into it. Just looking at the water last night, I was like, fucking crazy how good this water looks and how not only how good it looks but how effective it is at like doing its job of you know i'm looking 100 meters ahead and still able to see through the waves and the flowing water and everything like try making out like the silhouette of like a bronze whaler or something like that it's really really rad uh okay so cool so we we we've showed these other two prototypes where surging forward with dredge we're leaving the harbor so to speak um what's what's next joel like i mean is that just did you <clears throat> did you have another deadline that was was it now two months out or what was what's the next next point um i think this stage of the project is kind of all a blur to me um but we did we did certainly have an ambition to find a publisher um uh, okay so interesting give ourselves the best shot for things. We had backup plans um, mm -hmm. because Nadia is very good at, at, at making multiple plans. And we had sort of assumed, <laughs> you know, uh, we won't get a publisher because you have to account for the worst. Um, so we, we set a deadline, you know, it's, it's about February at this point, um, 2021. And we said, right, let's, let's give ourselves like, I think four months. So to mid year to make like a vertical slice which kind of would just look like the the main the central area of the marrows in the game um so you know it's it's throwing all the prototype stuff away it's working on the final art style um for the 2d and the 3d um it's working on the like fishing mechanics and uh one of our largest piece of feedback was you need a fishing mini game bro like you've got a fishing <laughs> game so here's you knew that right i imagine that's was that the obvious feedback that came back or were you honestly like oh shit okay right we gotta we gotta figure out all these different ways to catch fish now i think we knew it um but it wasn't something we needed to test so we didn't make it I guess. Yeah, yeah, of course, totally. I, I, would, I would completely agree with that, like with that decision as well. It's yeah. Mm. 
yeah, so it was yeah, vertical slice was was our target um, for for publisher stuff. Uh, we started, you know, spinning up all the businessy things, you know, registering domains and making Twitter accounts and mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And I think I think we posted. Um, I think Alex, you did some like key art, like a banner for the website, and we put that on Twitter as well, being like, "Hey, we're a new studio, and this is what we're working on. It's just a JPEG." Um, but even from that, we started getting like scouts like talking to us and being like, "Hey, I like you. I like your thing. I like your JPEG. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just a boat in the horizon. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I they're hungry, it. man. Those scouts, like they're they're." <laughs> there's some fishing and there's some fishing analogies in there as well so. it's pretty crazy they are still on the website and like as an aside i think I, every time i look at it i'm like wow i didn't know what a boat looks like because like the boat in it is just pretty random <laughs> like it's got like a speed <laughs> it's more the concept of a boat that's, yeah. that's fine yeah yeah, no, I, I love that image. It's still my like my Twitter banner. It's a, it's a great one. It's <laughs> but got it's good interesting vibes. as well, like Joel and Alex, like because you know Alex, you were mentioning like the the first original nugget that, that Joel mentioned, like cosmic horror fishing. It, it's like you if you captured that in the banner, which it sounds I know I know that I know the image because I've seen it on your on your Twitter profile, Joel. Like it does, it captures it, right? It's like, it sells that, that mystery, that ominous nature of being this little tugboat or little fishing boat, like heading out into the, into the beyond, you know, it's, um, it is like, even just as a JPEG quote unquote, you know, it is, it is arresting. It is promising. It makes someone, if I was a scout go like, Hey, tell me more. Definitely. Like let's, let's talk. Yeah. I think we're a little bit lucky as well with the, um, with the name, it just sort of kind of dropped out of nowhere really, but it's, you know, it's got connotations of like dredging up unpleasant things, and also it's yeah. pretty adjacent to dread, um, which is kind of nice. So, yeah, the JPEG and the title was apparently enough to attract some interest. So the name, because I was thinking about the name when I was playing last night, because dread is well, like dredging comes like a little bit into the game. You're not dredging things from the very start. Are right? you fishing, and then you know you get your dredge like you know a couple of hours in or something like that, um, and maybe it maybe it's thirty minutes in. Maybe I just revealed myself as a. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my fishing skills there um but i was playing it last night and i'm like fuck this name is amazing like for this game like it's it's i i couldn't think of a better name like for for the game in regards to like and i actually think i if i was to bet and we had some way to actually adjudicate this ridiculous novelty bet that i'm going up with like i would say it's like responsible for a huge amount of like your your success as well like you know like just another one of those factors obviously your phenomenal work of which the name is part of it you know is is, but like there's so much in a name tell me about the moment that sort of dropped out of the out of the sky you hauled it into the boat you know found it amongst everything else I don't think I could. I yeah, just, well, that's even better. That's beautiful. <laughs> I just put it at the top of the Google Doc and it was like, yep. And then I wrote it on the whiteboard, Dredge Cosmic Horror Fishing, and the guys were like, yep, that's that's kind of it. It's was it luck. there from the start? Was it there from that half-page Google Doc? There was no there was no placeholder name for Dredge. Isn't it brilliant how some of these things happen like that? Like it's just there in the ether and it snaps up. It's, a, it's that classic Rick Rubin thing. I don't know if you've heard him talk about it before where it's like ex- artists experience, have these experiences where other artists go and they make that track or that beat that they were thinking of in their head or whatever. And it's like, it doesn't belong to you. It's like in the ether. And sometimes we, it just happens to come to us or we just grab it. It feels like you had one of those divine moments, you know, where this, where this 
game name sort of just helped and landed on that page. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I, think, I, I worry about how many of those we got. Like that doesn't sound <laughs> something reproducible easily, easily, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude. I am. When we came out of our mellow, it was like, so we shipped our mellow in 2015. And I think it was honestly only in 2019 or 2020 where I was like, holy fuck, we were so lucky to have like this, 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 this. Like even like these three people in the room when we were shipping the game, like how insane that they just happened to work for us, you know, that they chose us as a place to work and would the game have even shipped if they weren't there, you know, like, and it's it's amazing how many, you know, beautiful, beautiful accidents or, you know, like just divine interventions or amazing amounts of luck, whatever you want to call it, whoever your, your deity or your belief system is, or, you know, whatever you want to prescribe it to, but yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. I guess you chalk dredge up for one of yours, right? For sure. Yeah. I, so I chalk a lot of things up to luck in dredge as well. Yeah. Like, you know, whether that's uh, timings of releasing something or like, you know, like one streamer happens to cover it at exactly the right time, which, you know, sets us off for an article or something. Um, and, you know, like it's not it's not luck in the like completely random sense. Um, yeah. But it's it's some outside influence that just helped us along. And uh, yeah, just feeling very grateful this year for all of those moments. Yeah, totally. And it's been a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy year, you know, for games. Like it's been a rough one for us as a studio, you know, we had to put a game on hold. Um, there's other studios around there that are shuttering entirely or, you know, like obviously there's been over 9,000 layoffs, but it's, it's juxtaposed with it also being critically and you know, tra tragically commercially. Like it's like, you know, considering what I just mentioned too, like one of the, one of the strongest years ever in, in games that, that I can remember. And the interesting thing about Dredge is, like you mentioned, the timing of the release. Now, I, I usually want to wait until later on, but I'm sure I'll forget about asking this question if we wait. So let's just let's just nail it now. Like that that timing of the release. When did you remind me when you released again? It was March 31st. March 31st. Okay, so you're you're out the gate a little earlier this year before things got because we 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 launched in August, and let me tell you, the runway was packed. Um, there were planes coming into land left and right. How how daunting was that sort of like that moment of coming, you know, coming into launch in regards to timing on this game? So uh, Breath of the Wild was around then? Oh, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the kingdom yeah. sorry. Yeah, I, think, I think it was after Thank us, right? Was yeah. it after us? Yeah. So, so I think we were. I think we were maybe happy to to sort of miss that because we thought, right, it's yeah. a short little game. They'll get that yeah. done, and then they'll go play Tears of the Kingdom. But we were terrified of Silk Song for so long because there was there was an implication that it would be out in the first half of the year. Yeah. Um. And every Nintendo Direct, I would just be like sitting there as a huge fan, being like, "Give me Silk Song," but also as a developer saying. Don't, Don't give me silk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. We um, I think every developer has like they're making a game, and there's that like with the the shadow in the corner almost that like could like reveal itself at any point in time. For us, we're making Solium Infernum as well, right? It's like a political grand strategy game, but it's kind of got similarities to a Forex. A lot of people call it Civ in Hell, and I am very aware, or I have been very aware for the last eighteen months, we've been marketing this game that. 2k have not announced to civilization seven <laughs> so i'm like every event i'm like please please take two do not announce like here like just let us get the game out so 
I totally relate to that feeling. Um, all right, let's let's go. Let's wind it back. Um, as I, you know, there's just an interesting point there on releases and anxiety of that because I can imagine it's like um, played into it. So you um, tell me tell me about this vertical slice and by you know you've so you've got interest from scouts and stuff already before you've even it sounds like before you even finished the vertical slice were you kind of like all right everyone you know hold your horses um and we'll show you the vertical slice when we're when we're ready was was that was that how it went down yeah it was exactly that i mean things were still gray boxes and stuff for a long time mm. uh so we just yeah pumped the brakes on the scouts and uh gave them demos and stuff uh later on in the year um and uh a lot of them liked what they saw yeah um and yeah we got a few offers and then ended up signing with uh with team 17 which was uh, something i again as a raging pessimist uh never expected like team 17 had really good cred obviously like worms and stuff growing up with with that game overcooked and a bunch of other games so we were pretty pretty stoked with that with like sitting in that even this um for team team 17 as well like for this this scope of indie game like this very specific scope of indie game too like like the lo-fi 3d even you know like the the scope of experience um price point every like they just they dominate in so many ways in that area, like with Overcooked or Moving Out or, you know, like these other games that they have in their portfolio. Um, and it's, I think as well, there's Team 17 have a unique offering too where with with all of those, you know, they can then go into bat for you as developers, like pitching them as a portfolio for, you know, particular deals or stuff like that. It's a really, it's a, it's a really significant partner for, you know, a, <laughs> an indie studio to have off the off the like i don't think the, i don't think you need to be a raging pessimist to to like you know to think that that's a that's a long shot for sure i'm i know of a dozen indie studios off the top of my head that would love to sign with team 17 yeah i think i was just i was kind of surprised at uh the fact that they wanted us because looking at that portfolio of moving out and overcooked and stuff like yeah. you know we we were an atmospheric horror game and like they've got a, they've got a couple of those um yeah, interesting like right. more serious I, ones i think they're more actiony as well because i also i shared the same like worries i was like our game's pretty slow you know yeah interesting yeah yeah, you know what though? I was playing your game obviously last night. I mentioned it. I don't know why I have to keep saying I was playing your game, but yeah, as you know, I've played your game. I was playing it last night and I played it a bit before. And there's something really beautiful about the design, like, and this is why it's it's like why I love what you said before about, you know, like about the prototype basically almost just being the town loop, you know, is coming back to have you ever gone back to your school like you know you move away from where you lived and you come back you go to your school as a child or sorry you go to your childhood school as an adult and it feels really small kind of had that feeling in dredge at one point where i'm off down in um uh, i forget the name of it um but the one in like south southeast um, yeah yeah and i'm um and i'm uh you know, I upgraded my boat and everything like that and super, super fast. And I went back um, to the Marrows and I'm like zipping across in like an hour or two from like one port to the other. Whereas earlier in the game, you know, obviously as you're starting, it's like, and 
but the town loop just felt so quick and so rapid that you, Alex, you're right. Like coming back, I realized how slow it was, but like it felt, it also felt really satisfying and really gratifying. Like that loop immediately was fed to me um, really early on. So I, I know what you're saying about it being feeling slow and the atmosphere slow, but I think the way that you pace the design is quite, is almost, I don't want to say it's an, it's an action game, but like it doesn't, I don't think the pacing of the design when you first get into it is like is really slow. Like it, it is quite rewarding, and it kick the game kicks off in a in a big way. But you've managed to somehow really masterfully keep that atmospheric vibe of like you know because you, you don't want it to feel like an action game, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, it's good. It's good to hear that. That's that is how. <laughs> yes, yeah, I was. Yeah, I know that we do. We do our upgrades do like make a real impact. Like you know, you get three engines on your boat as opposed to the one you start with, and you are like doubled as fast as you were you know um it feels yeah. we wanted that to feel good because like as joel said earlier we are big fans of upgrading in games and like feeling that progression it's huge yeah you can you can really feel it um and we spent we spent a long time on that pacing right like mm-hmm. uh it, so we had we had two years so we you know said right aim for a year and a half and then sort of six months of polish um of that year and a half eight months was basically the first zone and the pacing and and balancing of of those systems um and then every other area was like one or two months each so yeah we spent a long time on that on that initial pacing and a lot of time Mm playtesting that um and yeah we we wanted to, to make people feel powerful and they are actually about as powerful as they can be if we allow players to go much faster they will actually ramp off the off the waves and like start flying so <laughs> we we can't add like many more engine upgrades in our dlc because we're yeah. at the limit it is balanced on pro scale. yes <laughs> look man as um the first game i ever worked on was monster jam urban assault and it was a monster truck game that was essentially just t- monster trucks but disguised as tony hawk pro skater essentially <laughs> or tony hawk's pro skater disguised as monster trucks so i'm i'm for it man like give me give me that just put in a special bar have the flips everything like yeah oh you'll <laughs> flip you'll flip a lot yeah but you, get, you get bonus points if you do it over like a monster <laughs> yeah alex you're picking bonus up what i'm putting down amazing so um so okay so like you said eight months on that initial area like i, I do want to talk about the pacing and the core these these core features because again as we mentioned like or as you mentioned joel like there, there's so many of them weren't in the game in the prototype so tell me how some of these core features like you know we heard that the tetris thing was alex's ingenious idea but like when when did some of the big puzzle pieces sort of come in like those things that you look back and you go like the tetris thing and you go well shit like dredge almost wouldn't be dredge without the, without those things and again you happen to find them along the way um how did how and when did some of them come on board um i struggle to remember i i think uh we were just trying to scale up um what fishing could yeah. be i guess so the things like um trawl nets and crab pots and stuff uh were not in our brains at the start um but we knew that you know the fishing mini game was going to get pretty boring <laughs> worth noting as well that the game almost shipped with only one fishing mini game the the one where it just goes around yeah. There are a, a number of variations on that, and they were added like in the last month, I think. Yeah. Um, so we knew we needed to sort of mix up fishing uh, and and give players any example of, of trawl nets and uh, crab pots. Um, 
other ways of like pursuing the game uh so so troll nets right you drop them down into the into the water and then you just explore and you will just passively catch fish catch fish yeah um and the game, as I sort of alluded to earlier, sort of evolved into more of a story and an, and an exploration game. So we knew we we needed to give people tools to fulfill that and not just spend their whole time fishing because people would just do that and they would just not experience all of yeah. the stuff in the game. And again, crab pots, you, you drop them down, you go do your exploration for the day, you come back and then you get the loot, yeah. essentially. Um, so I think those were, were a factor of us sort of discovering what the best parts of the game were and giving people mm-hmm. tools to, to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really beautiful because I do find myself in Dredge going, oh, okay, I'm just going to make bank. I'm just going to ship for the next few days, five days. I set myself a target in my head of like, all right, I'm going to make a couple grand or whatever, get these things and then get a little bit of cash on top of that. And I just go out and I'm like hit my, I've got my trawler going while I'm fishing and I'm hitting my crab pots and everything, right? Um, and then there are those days where I'm like, okay, now I am just going to progress a story. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to search for materials or something. And the trawler was like a game changer for that loop for sure. Like knowing that I was going out and it kind of like the day wasn't a waste, you know, like I quote unquote, like a waste of I'm talking like a fisherman here, <laughs> you know, like I got mouths to feed at home or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I, lo- it was I love really that people cool. can, people can like have those different targets. Um, Cause I, I like grinding in video games and yeah. you know, hitting, hitting a target Um and yeah, everyone can just sort of play it differently. You know, I've, I've seen people who've like maxed out their boat basically before they've left the first zone and, you know, they just blitz through the rest of the game and that's fine. Cause that's sort of what they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and then other people who like never upgrade anything and are just like always out at night and going crazy and just like having all of these really intense experiences. Uh, it made things quite challenging to, to balance, I guess, yeah. you know, cause, cause your first day on the water most people come back by nightfall because we we really drive home <laughs> like hey you're gonna want to get back by nightfall yeah there's, there's not actually much out there on the first few days we we hide the monsters away for a bit um, yeah. but then you'll get like you know 10 of people who are like i'm just going to go see what kind of fucked up stuff there is in this fog and they'll have <laughs> yeah. a completely different experience and yeah. a completely different story which is awesome yeah no, it's 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 really cool. It's it's amazing that the experience really allows for that too. And I felt that as well, like heading off, you know, to a particular island and discovering things and just kind of like, okay, yeah, this it really does like have a lot of those, you know, hallmarks of like an open world exploration game as well in this like little tight fishing diorama. It's, it's really cool. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the scope of like, because now that we're talking about, you know, the fact that you also made an open world exploration game, like... <laughs> talk to me about the scope of the world alex like did you had you laid out like a a map you know you mentioned that you spent eight months on the marrows like um obviously you knew you were heading to other areas did you know what you had in mind or was it kind of just like what you got time to do after that like fill me in yeah so we did have right from the beginning we planned we had ideas for other um areas um some of them got scrapped uh one of them we managed we we got the chance to bring back in the DLC. Hell yeah. Uh, the ice era, yeah. Um, but uh, we sort of knew that we wanted it to be far, far enough that if you haven't upgraded your boat, it's a bit of a stretch to get there. Like you won't get there before night nightfall. We wanted to 
balance it so that we you'd have like a, a couple of upgrades before you go to the first zone, preferably. Um, but we didn't know exactly how far that was. Um, so uh, probably like around about, you know, eight months into it actually is probably when um, there was a point where uh, we couldn't kind of, there, there was a thing that was holding us back was not knowing the size of the world because we didn't actually have these areas in there. Mm. Um, so um, I think there was a meeting and I think I proposed, I was like, I really need to know the size of the world. So <laughs> I'm spend, please guys, I'm drowning here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. So I, I spent like, I don't know, a week or two weeks. I don't know how long it was, but there was, uh, we, I spun off another branch and it just became like this test branch uh, in the game where um, I expanded the world and I put placeholder islands in certain areas and then everybody else could go into this branch and play it and drive to them and see how like the distance, how the distance was, how it felt cool. to get there. And also we blocked out the basic uh, like structure of the zone, like how maze like it is or how open it is um, mm -hmm. and how big they are. Um, and then everyone played and got feedback and it turned out like, I think the original was way too far so that the world ended up being a bit smaller. Um, some things were too small and got bigger. There was like stellar, stellar basin, uh, went through a few size iterations to make the middle part feel the right size compared to the world. Um, so that's how we landed on kind of like the size of it. And it is a small open world. Like I like the word you said before, like a diorama. It kind of is. I've, yeah. I've heard everyone describe it like that before, but it's like good. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a small open world. I think it feels just big enough. Um, mm. It's just through iteration and testing really that we got there. All right, Joel. So you said that you spent eight months essentially developing the marrows and Alex, you've spoken about your branch, your magical, like, you know, you know, what is it like placeholder sort of world where you're moving things around, deciding literally how big the world is and everything that people are in testing. Joel, when you moved from the marrows to these other areas that you said, what you had like one or two months or two, three months or something on each one, like what were some of the big things that were left on the table? Because you were talking about spending so much time on the the pacing of the game in that first area. But I mean, for someone like me who played where I just kind of bounced to the new areas at the moment that I could, I was still deep in, I, I would say the pacing of the game even early on. And there were some things like in cliffs where you're getting, you know, the explosives and stuff. So what were some of the things that you still had to do or that came big elements that came online when you moved away from the marrows and you had that locked down and into other areas? Yeah. So that they weren't, many like large gameplay features that were left um yeah. it was mainly quests and writing and like giving people things to do in the areas and sort of tying tying things together um and that was something we did add one uh gameplay mechanic which is when you get to gale cliffs you get explosives and mm. we uh we wanted that to not just be like a one-off gimmick. Uh, so we then sort of went back and added explosives to the marrows and then built that into the design of the other areas going forward. So there would always be like a hidden area that you could use explosives yeah, for. Cool. Um, obviously, there were things like uh, the monsters. There is a, a monster or a, a threat in each area, which we wanted to try to make as different as we could, you know, not just mm -hmm. a thing that chases you um, and you have to get, be faster than it, but maybe it's a thing that you can placate briefly um, or maybe it's a thing that you have to like, you know, sort of stealth around. Um, yeah. So, so, so making all of those uh, sort of unique AIs was, was a large chunk of the remaining work as well. Yeah. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about because you said the M word there, and it's like such a huge part of your game, even if it's just the threat of of, of monsters, right? Um, which is so much of what like Eldritch Horror is about as well. Is sometimes you know so much Lovecrafty and stuff, you don't even don't even actually hear about the beast or know what it is a lot of the time, right? Um, so let's little, talk a little bit about monsters and consequence in general in in Dredge. Um, you spoke about having you know a monster in each area just now joel but like alex talk me through a little bit of like the fog and how you all spoke about the level of consequence that happens when you do get caught out at night and um you know i imagine looking to games like don't starve there are some similarities there no doubt but how did you decide on that that balance um i think i think we wanted to um there was a there's like a line of how much we kind of wanted our game to be punishing we didn't want any punishment that felt like um uh unfair i guess i, I don't know we we, we frustrating also, yeah yeah it's uh um what am i what am i trying to say because we have uh you can take damage in the game and you can like lose inventory items we make sure that certain inventory items that like can't be removed because they would break the game. <laughs> um, but like, or some things that you do lose, you can get them again. But then anything that you can lose permanently, there's like not any major, um, uh, like negative consequences consequence for it, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, even the um, fishing, right? Like the fishing, even if you don't engage with the fishing mini games at all, you're still hauling fish up, right? Like there's no, yeah. no like losing your catch or like consequence or anything there. Yeah, definitely, because we did, we really didn't want the fishing minigame to be frustrating. So um, you can just leave that and reel up the fish, and really the main consequence there is time. Now it's probably nighttime, um, and yeah. you're potentially in danger. Um, yeah, it's we also wanted players to be able to uh, manage the kind of danger, the amount of danger uh, or risk they take on, which is the whole like you know you can go back uh, to the nearest port and sleep. Um, and not go out not at night at all if you want, or you can just go out for a little bit, and then if you think it's getting dicey, you can go back. Or if you're just like a madman, you can just go out every night and then just like face push your panic to the max. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. So Joel, there was um, I was reading in an article about Dredge and some conversations that you're having with folks about uh, a, a mythical harpoon feature that happened, you know, um, during development or the ideas, the idea of that. And so, you know, the game that I played, uh, you know, the, the finished game uh, with the DLC, uh, you should play it with DLC folks. It's great. Um, is the game that I played, like you are the prey, you know, like you're, I'm not rolling around with a harpoon, you know, trying to, you know, turning around and facing my, my little, my little trawler at these huge monsters, Talk me through, you know, maybe fill people in on what the, that sort of the harpoon idea was and talk us through that decision to, like, keep keep the player as the prey. Uh, yeah, so so back when we were, you know, doing the original grey boxing, we knew we were going to have a mangrove area and the main threat was going to be something like this and then the way that you got around it would be something like that. Uh and, and so we, we had these ideas way ahead of time. And then when we actually got to sort of implementing the main areas, that's when we actually sat down and 
really thought about the the design of of the monsters and the the solutions to the monsters as well uh and we realized pretty quickly in the design sessions that the harpoon was going to be problematic for a number mm -hmm. of reasons um as you've alluded to yeah like like thematically you are the prey mm. and having having a, a really easy solution like a permanent solution to these monsters didn't feel didn't feel like you know very cosmic horror you know cosmic horror is about like this <laughs> insurmountable thing and it's like oh you just shoot it with a bolt gun and it's gone so mm. yeah we didn't we didn't want to do that there were also um gameplay implications of like aiming a thing on the waves and how will that work will that sort of amplify the seasickness factor which was was a factor for some people uh and then then lastly you know you got to think about how people are going to use this this harpoon gun are they going to go and try to kill the monsters in the other areas with it and that might be kind of interesting uh but are they going to go and try to shoot the whale and the dolphins with it and that felt like something we didn't really want to want to get into obviously we didn't want to allow whaling um but if you just turn <laughs> off co collision on the whale like that's going to feel kind of rubbish so it was just a problem that we didn't think we could solve. So we so we swapped it out. We we did a sort of a trap mechanic, and you have to construct traps to to deal with these particular monsters. Yeah. But there is yeah, there's still a uh, harpoon icon in the game files that was never realized. <laughs> there you go. We can leave that one to the, the modding community can make their whaling game, and you, we can wash our hands of it. Um, yeah. Speaking of like the community, and you know, just the notion of modding and stuff like that. What's what What's some of the, like, I mean, the game's out there for a while now. It's obviously found a huge audience. What's some of the the requests or the feedback and stuff that's kind of really surprised you or, you know, whether in a really great way being like, oh, holy shit, we hadn't thought about that. That'd be awesome for the game or just like, what? You you want that in the game? Well, that's that's wild. Yeah, so there's a there's a multiplayer mod, uh, which I haven't actually tried. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. I mean, it... I don't really like it because it's uh, it changes the whole vibe. Of the yeah, game. it's not about um, isolation anymore. Cosmic exactly. horror with your pals. Yeah, but then <laughs> there's something there's something just sort of inherently fun about doing anything. Uh, you know, in in any video game with your mates, you know, just like tooting your foghorn excessively at them and like annoying <laughs> them and like it, it, it's fun, sure, but it's yeah. it's not what Dredge is about, which is why it's not a multiplayer game. Yeah, um, of course. Also. I probably would have been too difficult. Um, but there, there have been a lot of surprises from the community. A lot of things we've we've learned. Um, one of the things that stands out the most to me, at least, is uh, we have these these characters in the game, which are the hooded figures, mm -hmm. um, which are sort of scattered around the world. And they don't give you much uh, dialogue or explanation. They talk pretty crypt cryptically, um, but they when you rock up, they sort of request that you give them a specific fish. And when we launched, uh, there was essentially like a hidden timer that would start as soon as they asked for this mackerel, uh, where if you didn't give them that mackerel within 10 in-game days, they would die. Uh, and, and like if you did give them the mackerel, they would move on to the next request and the next request. And once you'd done that, you would get a little reward, which was like plus two percent engine speed or something like yeah. pretty minor mm -hmm. uh 
but it was it was pretty inevitable that people would fail at least one of these because you just get distracted and dredge yeah, you're, you're sort of moving from place to place you forget about quests and we didn't tell people it was timed they they said they were hungry and that was kind of the extent of the explanation uh, i'm so glad that you're saying this right now because i found the castaway and i had my ship full of like valuable parts and i was like Look, I know you're a human being, but also this is a video game. I really need this this wood and engine parts. I'm gonna come back, and I and I drove away like or whatever you yeah drove away in my boat like a hundred meters, and then I was like, but wait, maybe there's an internal timer, and I came back. Now I don't know if there's one on the castaway, but like I'm I'm glad that you verified at least that you are the cheeky kind of devs who are doing that stuff. So yeah. yeah. Vindicated. It was on the castaway, so he had yes. he had a timer as well, but we removed it. Yeah, um, okay. Within I think three days, we removed that timer um, because it was just it was I think I think the number one source of negative Steam reviews. Um, wow, isn't that and that's really fascinating? Even just from a design like a design perspective too. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah that that's why it's it was so surprising to us. Um, like, and I get it. I I think um, you, you know, it was a <laughs> bit of a bait and switch. Um, f- from our perspective, we thought it was just kind of like a little fun, um, thematic on brand part of the world where yeah. like things don't always work out the way you think they're going to, and it's not like a uh, an alien concept to games like uh, Dark Souls does this all the time where you do yeah. something on one side of the map and then on the other side of the map somebody dies because of your action uh, yeah. so we thought we could get away with it um, and, and and our approach to everything in Dredge as well was um, like failing a quest still counted as completing it for achievements mm. and all that stuff like you only ever have to play through the game once you can get every achievement, nothing is missable we had this really strong desire to keep that true for everything uh so we just thought it was a bit of fun but people fucking hated it (laughs) isn't it interesting and like you say it's um it's really quite amazing what what is okay in some games and what is not okay in others and i think dark souls is like you know obviously a really great example because it came along and just somehow because of the the way that all of its parts come together they get away with breaking so many design conventions even like learn by dying the whole game is learned by dying but like you know there are so, so many games where it's just not acceptable like and we found a similar thing you know making our games as well you know like strategy games things in our mellow that are just like totally not okay for us to do but completely kosher in like huge other video games or other similar like indie hits or whatever and some um, interesting and you know you can find these out the hard way like you said through steam reviews you know just um but you would you would imagine even though you're implying it and stuff that people would pick up on it interesting alex it, it do you such a big sorry, thing yeah. It was such a big thing um, that the internet was like awash with all of these articles within the first few days of like how to not make the, the guys die. Yeah. Um, and and still, like every week, people post on the subreddit being like, oh, no, I've just started talking to this guy. He's going to die. What do I do? And then the community comes in and is like, actually, they patched this like eight months ago. It's fine. Um, but we, we added a, a new hooded figure in the in the new DLC. And I think it gave some people PTSD because they were like, oh, no, they added the timer. <laughs> and, and he wants, added the again. he wants the rarest fish too. Like there's no way that you'd get that, you'd be that time. <laughs> In 10 days. <laughs> no way. Amazing. 
<laughs> Alex, what about you? Did anything like sort of stick out for you, you know, good or bad from the, you know, in regards to like community requests or, you know, um, things that they really I mean, identified with? I mean, it surprised me greatly that somebody has made a VR mod for Judge. Wow. But, like, really? Why, are you, are you looking at you the ship, like ship in front of you? Or you I think you're like a kind of like in it. Just a, no, just like on top of it sort of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Strangely. Um, yeah, but that, cause you know, seasickness and your boat's always moving. Um, yeah, I know there but, are VR sickos. Mm-hmm. I'll put anything in VR for sure. Yeah, they got like <laughs> iron, iron stomachs, but yeah, there's, there's been like uh, feedback that, um, uh, I guess it doesn't, uh, what is it? What What's the right word for it? It's like, it wasn't, it wasn't our intention to make a game the way, the way that they, the thing that they're asking for. Like a lot of people have asked for who've said like this game is not scary or it's like not scary enough or it's like not a horror game and it's like we didn't kind of make a horror game we just <laughs> like a spooky kind of you know you it's like on the, on the verge of being uh you know it's a horror themed game for sure yeah. it's spooky so, um but you know we didn't want to make a game with like jump scares and stuff like that or like, yeah okay right yeah do you um do you have folks requesting like a like a scary mode or a hard, hard mode or something hard mode yeah for sure there's a lot there's there's people who ask for a hard mode um we got more requests when we first released i think for like an easy mode honestly because our game is sort of like our game is somewhere between like cozy and horror and i think we've got a lot i think we're a lot of people's like first time spooky game <laughs> i think um and <laughs> we got a lot of requests for like a easy mode uh um so we actually put in in one of the updates a um what's it called joel passive mode passive, passive mode. mode yeah it's yeah great. um so you can put that on and you can you'll still have the atmosphere you'll still see the monsters they'll kind of leave you alone um you know and it's perfect for some people i think that's awesome hell yeah yeah the game has a bunch of great accessibility options which sort of brings me to this other point that i want to talk to and i imagine um i'm going to take a guess that maybe the person you can correct me if i'm wrong but like maybe the person responsible for this isn't on the call and that's nadia which is this six months of polish on this game that's 25 percent or so of like your development budget was just on polish and sort of getting there around about right like Tell me, and also the reason why I say Nadia is because you mentioned she's not only a producer, but you're a tester as, as well. Um, and one of the things that people talk about with the release of the game is like how bug free it was. Like people were like, you know, I'm sure you found a couple still, Joel, no doubt we always do. But like, it's remarkable, like what people were saying about, you know, how solid the game was when it shipped. So tell me about that process of like first of all deciding that you're going to dedicate six months to polish like straight you know and whether that happened straight off the bat or what led to that decision and then what that meant for the project as well uh i don't think it was exactly a a decision in in the way that you're phrasing it yeah um it, it was i guess um an allocation of of time uh just to give ourselves some some padding right um which we used for for polish and for bug fixing um and also uh part of that like delay essentially was so that we're not releasing at christmas as well so we just you know working with the publisher to sort out those those timelines um meant that between when we released the demo in august of the year before and the game we had about we had about six months and and yeah, yeah when we when we released the demo it was like largely done um you could 
if you manage to escape like the hitbox around the marrows in the demo, you could in theory play most of the game. Never saw anybody manage to do that. Um, it was in a, it was in like a pretty medium state, but uh, it's you're lucky just, they did um, that when we did the jump light Odyssey next fest demo. They managed to do that somehow. We literally put in like a jump limit and everything, and they the players like got to the end of the game. <laughs> Wow. What the fuck? Wow. That's, a, that's, that's like a nightmare. That would keep me up at yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hoping people can't get out of bounds in the demo. They'll experience all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, it was, uh, I think we were very happy with the uh, lack of bugs. I mean, there was still like a hard lock save state getting fucked up on day one. Like, yeah, you know, of course pop the champagne at 6am on the release day Friday. And then within two hours, the reports start rolling in and I'm like back, back to debugging. Um, <laughs> but thankfully they were all pretty minor. Um, you know, there was, there was nothing that was like, everybody was experiencing this. So, hmm. so that was good. I think, I think it's just um, like a factor of our experience at our old place. Like we just know the process. Um, we know like, how to do things iteratively and like build on things and not just like add in huge whacking systems sort of at the last minute. Although I did add a number of fishing mini games at the last minute, I did say. Um, <laughs> that was important. You gotta, you gotta, gotta, yeah, you gotta live a little, you know, like that's it. It can't all be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And so we, you were, um, how close were you to launch when you had that sort of that cannon? Were you tweaking things right up until, you know, sort of the last moment when you, did you have day one patches rolling out or? We, yeah, we did have a day one patch planned, which was, mm -hmm. I guess, wrapped up like probably a, a month prior ish. Yeah. Um, and okay. we, we had planned, uh, some, some little updates, like, uh, we planned a photo mode, um, just to sort of, uh, reinvigorate the steam algorithm a little bit, a few months down the line. Um, but they were literally just like, uh, a camera ability would just like pop up on your ability wheel. Um, yeah. but then when the game actually like popped off, we thought, well, let's actually dedicate a little bit more time to things like this. So in the example of the camera, we added a photographer NPC who you do a little quest for, and then she gives you the camera and it just sort of integrated it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, we had things like painting your boat, um, which was, was probably one of the largest, um, player requests, actually boat customization, um, yeah, well. was something, um, but we weren't we weren't tweaking things right up to the last minute. In fact, in in launch month of March, we mm. basically moved on. We were prototyping our next game. Yeah, um, wow. Because we again the pessimism. It's like, well, this is this game's going to go out, and it's probably going to you know not do much. And let's just you know try to look to the future. And we got through like one and a half prototypes, and we were just sort of you know getting overwhelmed with like like press hype and podcasts and. Uh, and things like that, and then launch day hit, and then we knew we weren't going to go back to those prototypes anytime soon. Huge, absolutely huge. Well, congrats, folks. It's um, it's really it, it. You know, I'm sure everyone's telling you IGN this morning, and you know, others will no doubt continue to. Uh, but it's just such a phenomenal experience. It's so tight. It's such a brilliant exercise in scope and execution and concept. And it's very rare that a game comes together and is like so completely a sum of its parts. And I think, I think you've really achieved something very, very spectacular with this game. So maybe to sort of wrap it up here today, 
I'll ask you both one question. Alex, what's the thing that you're most proud of about Dredge, like in the game? And I'm not talking about sort of like how it's done or something, but like something in the game that you're most proud of. Um, As like a general concept, it would be the the technical art that I did. This was my first game doing like technical art. Um, More specifically, I would just point out like some of the shaders, like the sky and the water, which are the two biggest ones. And they were two biggest hurdles and learning experiences for me. Hell yeah, they're man. very big. Oh, they don't fit on yeah, one screen. Big. Oh, you mean like literally big? <laughs> also that. <yeah. laughs> That's awesome. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, like I was saying, the actual, you know, actually before we dive off, like talk to me a little bit about the water shader and like getting it. Because as I mentioned, you can literally tell that it's a bronze whaler from 100 meters away, you know, and then you got the telescope that you have the players look at even like closer scrutiny at your water shader was it something you were tweaking through the whole game like yeah yeah pretty much. there was changes um every every uh, there was a lot in the beginning and then they sort of calmed down but every like month or a couple of months there would always be like some commits or something that is changing the water shader um mm. it needs to it needs to account for all sorts of things we need some things to be able to be visible very deep in the water we need most things to not be visible in uh, at deep there's like variables that we need to tweak for each area to control the different colors um to set different moods like you said yeah like we need to make sure that the particles are visible through the through the water um which is fairly easy but then it gets more complicated when you want to treat other objects differently um yeah because there's, there's a whole just controlling what's visible and what's not um is kind of it's kind of a challenge but then on top of that getting the stylization right um, was a lot of experimentation with different kind of textures and techniques. And, and I, I yeah. bullied you into adding reflections as well. That was pretty late yes. in the play. It was late. Reflections had been in as like uh, as a feature from sort of, sort of early on. I just had them turned off because the Nintendo Switch did not like reflex- reflections <laughs> performance-wise. <laughs> you think yeah. you found a way. That uh, yes, it was. We had some sacrifices to get them to work in the end, but um, they work. Yeah, hell that yeah. That was part of that six months of polish, right? Like Plus. two months of just like looking at frame debuggers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. important shit. It's it's great, and you know, I, I think it's unfortunately, you know, the realities of the industry. Like, I mean, you guys no doubt experienced it at Cerebral Fix. I've experienced it at our own studio, you know, in the studio that I worked at, studios that I've worked at in the past. Like, you don't always get, like, any polish or, you know, time on a lot of projects, let alone six months. It's it's a brilliant opportunity. And, you know, it's obviously had a huge impact on the game. So, Joel, what about you? What's your, what are you, what are you most proud of? Um, I think, I think I love my fish descriptions the most <laughs> out of any part of the game um, oh yeah it, it's also like the most fun part for me to do um yeah we'll play the text. Like a, yeah exactly um and just kind of like burying like hidden meanings in them like I, like i said i i've not written anything before really um and there were some parts of the writing that i really struggled with like the dialogue i found um, and I still do find dialogue really hard to write and make mm. it seem natural, but make it also seem like purposeful and build on the world and all of these other problems that, that you have to have. But like with the fish descriptions, I could be like as edgy as I wanted to be. And I was just like throwing in random adjectives that I'd never heard of before and like just trying to like craft this, you know, this world around this fucked up little fish 
sprite basically um so i found that a lot of fun and uh, i've got like another 50 of them to write for the dlc which i'm looking forward to i'm, I'm like holding that <laughs> as like my reward for doing some of the other stuff that i don't oh, really want to work on your little treat yeah hell yeah i know what you mean as well about like dialogue um too you know like i got into games via writing and you know my first gigs were like you know, writing and design on games and stuff and like a shit ton of writing. I've worked on a couple of Scooby-Doo games that just had so much, so much text in them, you know, and all voiced and everything like action adventure games. And um, yeah, like natural dialogue is like really like the rhythms of natural speech are completely counterintuitive. Like how we start sentences, sentence fragments and everything. Actually a little, a little sh- shout out for you and then for our readers, like some a book that I read years ago, um, and there's actually a GDC talk, which is great. If you don't want to read books, there's a GDC talk by the same guy, David Freeman's Advanced Dialogue Techniques. Um, really great talks about all this stuff, like um, how to get sort of more, literally how to get like more natural speech in your in your, in your your writing. It's, it's a really great resource. But it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, as a writer has always sort of fascinated me as well. And it feels like there's sort of no depth to that you know, um, sorry, no, no depth. It's the opposite. Like there's no like end to like the depth of that knowledge that, you know, people can have. It's really, really great. But yeah, man, amazing, amazing work. Like, did you ever think about, I don't mean like, obviously you didn't need to, but was there ever a conversation about like, especially being the, um, the incredible pessimist that you are like, like we haven't really spoken about the fact that you just jumped into this writing and did it. Like, was there ever a point where you or anyone on the team was like, we should actually get a quote-unquote writer. Yeah, yeah, there were there were a few a few of those discussions, and they they probably came um, beyond the point where I felt like, well, I've done this much, I may as well like do the rest kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, maybe it's something that we'll think about for the, for the next one, depending on how story heavy that yeah. ends up being, or how story heavy we think it'll end up being. Um, well, yeah. dude, writer to writer, it's great work. Good, good stuff, man. You should be Cheers. you should be incredibly proud, especially of your fish descriptions. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, lads, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you as well to Mikey and Nadia and the you know the rest of the team, your new crew as well. Like it's um, such a such a phenomenal little experience, and I'm really really excited to you know track not just the future of whatever else you got planned for dredge, but you know what you've got planned for black salt too. It's um, you've certainly made your, made your mark on the map. Um, and, uh, now it's the, I guess just, just the challenge is not to think too much about the sophomore project, the, the, the difficult second album, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a challenge to follow up, uh, certainly, but, uh, we're looking forward to it. Looking forward to some, you know, fresh ideas and, uh, seeing what we can do. Hell yeah! Well, I'll give you the um, the um, the League of Geeks hack is to just support the same game for seven years, and then you can just put that, just kick that can down, down the road until you have to bite the bullet. Um, all right, folks. Well, hey, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Um, absolute pleasure chatting to you both. All right, cheers. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's been really fun. Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.